0: ABMP Associated Bodywork and Massage Professionals is proud to sponsor the interdisciplinary podcast from Heal Well. Massage therapists and bodyworkers who join ABMP get meaningful resources that make a difference in your career, including free online CE courses online scheduling included with the ABMP Pocket Suite app, and comprehensive liability insurance that provides protection and peace of mind. Can't get enough podcast inspiration and information? Listen for the ABMP podcast with regular guest hosts Ruth Werner and Allison Denny. Discover why members expect more and get more at abmp.com.
1: Welcome to season ten of Interdisciplinary. We are still discussing education and regulation of massage therapy. We're terribly happy that you've joined us. I would like you all to know that it is currently icing outside of my window, and if you have lovely weather, please go outside and enjoy it. Thank you. Uh, we have some great events coming up in Healwell. We have um, a pediatric massage. Hands on, in person, in the hospital. That's April 11th through 14th in Washington D.C. And then we have an incredible scar class coming up with Kathy Ryan, May 20th through 21st, also in D.C. Question mark, Rebecca? Also, it's it's in Northern Virginia, in the Northern DC Virginia, area. and very
0: rare. We have we are extracting Kathy Ryan from the wilds of Upper
1: Canada to come <laughs> and teach this class. So it's you amazing. should absolutely absolutely take advantage of that it's going to be um phenomenal mm-hmm. yes um, yes um if you enjoy this show and you'd like to support us please join our patreon at patreon.com interdisciplinary you can do that for one dollar we let our personalities loose in there so be on guard um in videos like documentaries and my Corey's cartoon countdown you too could be a super secret squirrel and we'll be happy to have you um, and if you like this show, which if you're listening, I really hope you do, um, and you'd like to participate in these conversations in real time, you can go to community.hewell.org and jump in the conversation yourself. Uh, we have some great content in there and some fascinating conversations that you can't get on Facebook, I promise. So uh, hop right in. Today, I am here with Rebecca, who you've already heard, and our special guest. But before the special guest, I would like to give you a pun. And today's pun is, please don't interrupt me when I'm working on a puzzle. You'll hear some crosswords.
0: Oh, yeah, Yeah. Um, yeah that's, uh, I feel attacked.
1: <laughs> I feel personally mentioned by that. I pun. feel
0: personally mentioned by that pun. Um, I guess, yeah. Mm. Oh, yep.
1: You're welcome, <laughs> special yeah. guest. Would you please introduce yourself and thank you so much for coming?
2: Well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Mylène Patrine, and I am currently the director of legal and regulatory affairs. Or the Federation of State Massage Therapy Boards. Uh, in this role, I kind of do a lot of different things. I manage the government relations specialist, uh, deal with exam security issues and compliance, um, manage uh, along with the school support and industry relations uh, team, the external Outreach for FSMTB, whether it be with the trade associations, schools, um, other regulatory bodies such as the Federation of Association of Regulatory Boards. Um, I do a mishmash of a lot of things. Um, in my prior life, I, I was I, I'm a recovering litigator. So I worked for a private <laughs> law firm in downtown Chicago, uh, representing uh, corporations uh, in across the country. Fortune 500 uh, companies with medical malpractice and product liability. Uh, After that, I worked for um, a niche boutique law firm uh, in the suburbs of Illinois, and we focused our practice on representing as outside general counsel, national associations of regulatory boards uh, for a variety of professions. So chiropractors, optometrists, physical therapists, um, any profession that requires a license, Typically has a national association, and that's how I became introduced to SMTB. That's and then they they lured me over with lots of lots of money. No, that's I'm kidding. They didn't (laughs) lured me over with passion uh, for massage therapy and its um, evolutionary stage with respect to uh, national standards and uniformity. So it's one of my goals.
0: Yeah, that's, oh, there's so much there that I want to, that I want to ask about, but um, uh, Corey, do you have?
1: I was going to say, after the Fortune 500, were you looking for something? I don't want to say less lucrative, exactly, but
2: (laughs) more. Uh, You know, the stage of my life where I had small children and that job, Mm. significant travel at the last minute, Um, and when you have small children, it's sometimes hard to just get on a plane at the close of business day and, you know, be whisked off to um, other cities. So I was looking for a little bit of, uh, I guess, a change of pace. And um, that's kind of what transitioned me out of the high stakes, high high pressure litigation world. You know, in in litigation, nobody's ever happy. Your client's not happy either with the result in court or your client's happy with the result in court, but not happy at what it costs them to get that result. So, um, you know, moving to the nonprofit world and kind of counseling organizations um, was a very positive change, I think, in the uh, environment in which you're working. So I really enjoy it. Excellent. Uh,
0: so you had mentioned about um, becoming familiar with other regulated professions like chiropractic optometry and and massage as a... Um, I'm sorry, I don't recall the exact word you used, but but the word that's in my head is an emerging profession in that area. Um, can you talk more about that? Like, where, in your view, where is the profession of massage therapy in terms of uh, meaningful regulation?
2: I think I my perspective is that it's fairly young in its evolution with respect to regulation. Um, Not all states and territories regulate massage therapy or licensed massage therapy yet, Um, and even those that do, um, there's a lack of uniformity and consensus over scope of practice, over the education requirements, over the exam requirements, and so we're still feeling our way through it. It's kind of maybe we're in the teenager phase for a little bit independent, but not fully independent, Um, and I think the lack of standardization and uniformity from jurisdiction to just jurisdiction um is kind of impeding the advancement of massage therapy as a profession, as a regulated healthcare profession.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we talked to um to Deborah, Deborah Persinger a couple of weeks ago um on the podcast um, about like FSMTB and what FSMTB does. And um it it it's it's interesting to me, like the, that you said, teenager phase, because I also think of you know teenagers as being sort of moody and contrary. <laughs> um, and, and you know, from from the perspective of someone who's who's kind of been in my own little massage space as a practicing therapist and now as an educator, um, I I think I'm I have a certainly I have a skewed perspective on this. But I, I wonder how much of what you are doing butts up against this sort of moody contrariness that may or may not be a part of the
2: profession. <laughs> I I think that um, from my you know limited experience, and this is the last you know seven to nine years um, with respect to massage therapy regulation. I'm not sure that the profession itself. Um, has consensus about where it wants to go and what it wants to be. And Mm. I think when you're then trying to implement, you know, standards and regulations in a uniform way, you create friction with those, um, shall I say, parochial interests, right? (laughs) What they do only and not about the broader um, environmental context. So I think it brings that out. And maybe that's the moodiness that you describe. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know who and what organization can take um, a leadership role in trying to bring the profession together, both on you know the practitioner and uh, therapist side, as well as the regulatory side, because they really shouldn't be antithetical. They should be complementary they have different roles they need to stay in their lanes so to speak but they need to inform each other and you know that re- will require some consensus building on on the profession side or the industry side yeah yeah um
0: do you mind if i ask you a slightly moody contrary question no and uh, we can cut this out later if you want um so stay in your lane is a phrase that we hear a lot, a lot from a lot of different people, and I know what that means when I'm driving. Otherwise, they wouldn't give me a license, right? But I, I'm not sure that I really understand what people mean when they say it. And I think everybody means something a little bit different. Um, so when you say that or quote that or whatever, what is your understanding in terms of stay in your lane? Well,
2: well, maybe I I should have used a, a different phrase. In that, um, know what hat you're, you're, what hat you're wearing, what role you're in, right? Because as LMT and as an educator, you have kind of different roles as a therapist, client situation, and then as an educator, they can be parallel and they should uh, work together. Mm-hmm. Um, when you throw in regulation on that, um, there can be some criticism by therapists who become who. Are fulfilling the regulator role and which and what's the role of regulation to further public protection, protect the health, safety, and welfare of the public. So sometimes that means thinking not about the best interest of the therapist and the profession, but what is the best thing to do from the public's perspective. And so maybe it's more about which hat do you have on right now versus stay in your lane because they're going to they're going to kind of intersect at some points and you have to know, right. What, what role am I playing right now? Or what role am I serving? And what is, what is my interest? Or what should my interest be?
0: Right. Right. That's thank you for that. Um, yeah. I, Corey, I don't want to suck up all the air. <laughs> it's
2: it's <laughs> new. I mean, it, it's very hard. Um, I mean, there are times, you know, even as you know a lawyer, and I have to do my CE, and I get annoyed that you know there's all these regulations for me. But then, on the other side, I'm like, this is what I do. I shouldn't be annoyed, you know. (laughs) Trying to kind of always think, or you should always be thinking about what is your role in that particular moment. And I mean, think about the therapist and the educator. Um, You have to set um, standards and and have your students be accountable. Um, you can't be too much of a therapist wanting to, to, you know, pass them through just because they're a good person. You have to um, have those standards and be willing to enforce them, even if it means sometimes making some difficult choices, I guess. Uh, yeah. Good.
1: How many hats would you say FSMTB has? One and can you describe that hat? <laughs> they,
2: they they serve their membership and their membership is the regulatory agencies for massage therapy. Um, it's sometimes a difficult role in that mm-hmm. the regulatory agencies are all over the place. In some more evolved professions, there's kind of more uh, uniformity and understanding, a broad understanding of What is medical regulation? What is nursing regulation? What are the rules of the game? And the state boards and agencies are still trying to figure that out. Um, In some states there is no agency, right, at all. It's not regulated um, in in a few states. So trying to manage those differing expectations and those boards evolution along the regulatory spectrum. You know, some states are, you know, early on and they just recently you know adopted licensure in a state. some of them are trying it out um some have certification some have registration so they're at different levels um along the regulatory uh scheme so to speak does so,
1: does this fsmtb have a like a, a vision for where they want all of those sort of disparate boards to go um I know in Michigan there's Always a lot of chatter among massage therapists about what the board actually does and does not do. And I do try to explain to people that what they do and do not do has everything to do with the law and the regulations that we set, and very little to do with what the people on the board would maybe like to be able to do. Um, But with 50 states in a variety of colors of hats, let's say, (laughs) same hat, different color. is FSMTP aiming for something or just general unity?
2: What we try to do is listen to the membership and see where they see the need, where is there a majority consensus about certain things that should be um, changed or help them. So One of the things we have is a model practice act, right? Model massage their practice act. So when states are looking to do something, um, change the scope of practice or change the composition of the board. If the board requests our support, um, our government relations uh, team will provide them with, you know, comparative information from different states on how how a particular topic or issue has been addressed. Um, we try to point to the Model Practice Act. I mean, it, it's in it's in need of updating, and that's kind of on the on the vision board, shall I say? <laughs> um, but it, it it's tricky too because. Not only do you have the different jurisdictions at different regulatory levels within, on top of that, the regulatory framework is different. So like in Michigan, for example, you have the, you know, licensing and regulatory affairs, LARA, and Mm -hmm. that's an umbrella organization. And the different professions are just advisory boards. So LARA, a commission is making the decision, hopefully informed by the subject matter experts. In some states like North Carolina, it's a freestanding board, autonomous. It appoints its own, or it has its own members appointed by the governor, but they get to make those decisions. They are the decider. Um, And then there's different combinations. There might be independent boards or boards that have autonomy, but within a department just for administrative services. And how all of those different Frameworks have to interact and follow procedures. Um, also, adds a layer of complexity to massage therapy regulation that uh, is a little bit um, different for the more mature uh, professions, such as medicine, um, physical therapy. Kind of, it's it's more established, and they have you know credibility, shall I say, as an independent decision maker. Yeah. I, I I'm
0: intrigued by I don't disagree with the characterization of massage therapy as a less uh, not less mature, but as an emerging profession in this in this space. um it's interesting to me because massage has been around for literally thousands of years, right? um but it's it's just in this particular um aspect of the profession, the the regulation, the um growing up (laughs) and and being a responsible adult part. Um, Given that this is a profession that's been around for really longer than something like nursing, for example, um, or other regulated healthcare professions that are behaving in a more adult manner, do you have any thoughts on what, why? (laughs) <laughs> Why are we still teenagers?
2: <laughs> um, I wish I were a massage therapist to have a little bit more insight as into the the whole history of the profession, you know. Um I think it's if if you look at the differing states, you know, of the forty-six jurisdictions that some in some way regulate massage therapy, um they they can't even come to a consensus on whether or not it's a healthcare profession. Great. Yes. Oh, yes. Half of the states saying it is half of the state's throwing it under, you know, labor and commerce, you know, like with plumbers, electricians and, you know, Mm -hmm. pesticide appliers. And then Mm -hmm. some States that it's under the department of health. And Mm -hmm. you see the difference. I think when you look nationally, how, the states that treat it as a healthcare profession and and have it underneath the Department of Health differ from those states that, you know, put it over in the occupational licensing perspective. And and we could get into a big, long theoretical discussion about what is the difference between an occupation and a profession, but there are many licensed occupations and professions that have that same um, challenge. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, this is, this is particularly fascinating to me. I'm in Kentucky and Kentucky last year, it just took effect in January decided that massage therapy is a service and therefore required to collect state sales tax. Um, yeah. It's fun. It's My super eyes just fun.
1: got really big for those of you not yeah. on Patreon. I'm <laughs> watching
0: the video. Sorry. Corey, Corey made the best ever Corey wow. face. The, I didn't know that. The, um, what the F is that face? Um, yeah. And it was, bonkers. Um, it's still bonkers to me that the approach seemed to be from massage therapists in Kentucky who were clearly like opposed to this whole situation. Um, but rather than trying to, this is my perspective, um, please tell me I'm wrong. People who live in Kentucky and were more involved in this fight than I was. Um, but it, it, there was a lot of like Sort of diffuse. Um, we're not a we did. We're not a service, but I didn't see enough people, in my opinion, standing up to really say we're not a service because we are healthcare. It was it it was like a I don't know what what the motivation was, but the, but the this reluctance to just really like say out loud no we're healthcare. Um, and I wonder. If that has to do with the kind of mess of regulation.
2: Well, I mean, there's there's not all, being considered a healthcare profession brings with it a lot of additional layers of regulation.
1: Mm, sure does.
0: That's so, a really good
2: point. <laughs> yeah. To kind of needle, you know, thread that needle of you want to be considered healthcare um, and that you want insurance coverage and you don't want to be taxed. But if you're considered healthcare, there's, you know, sometimes there's more stringent CE requirements. There's additional regulation on the facility and the establishment. Um, you'll have medical quality assurance issues. You'll have uh, disciplinary reports to the National Practitioner Databank. So there's a lot of other things. I, I don't want to say um, pros and cons. Cons not the right word, but additional uh, requirements. requirements. And standards that have to be complied with when you're considered a healthcare profession, and so I think that elevated standard. I mean, I, the profession has to decide is being considered healthcare worth that additional um, regulation. You know, or those requirements?
1: Yeah, I feel like there's also along with that teenager analogy, which made me think of being gangly and outgrowing my shoes really fast all the time. Um, <laughs> I think the massage profession is really good at deciding what we're not, and we're not so good at deciding what we are. I think, like a teenager, right? You're like, well, I'm not a preppy, and I'm not a goth, and I'm not, you know, any of those things that you want me to be. Ha ha ha. ha." But I can't really describe to you what I am. Um, Because I think describing what you are then requires you to make decisions along the lines of all of those healthcare little factors that have to go into it, or the sales tax thing, or like you have to make a concrete decision about something. And we're still sort of dancing around the concrete, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think just to take this to a, a personal level, like, did I really know who I was until I hit like age 40, right? You're, you're kind of, going through like you you're following what you think you should do and not necessarily knowing who you are deep inside and maybe that's analogy mm-hmm. for the massage profession they they know who they think they want to be but then when they get to that point they're a lot they they might have second thoughts about maybe this isn't really what I want to be so you know as as the profession matures from a regulatory perspective I know it's been around so I don't want to say it's new and emerging but it's it's a fairly young regulated profession. Um, right. And so as it matures, hopefully these, you know, um, internal disputes and identity crises, you know, resolve themselves. I don't know.
0: Yeah. You know, in some ways as as you're saying this, I'm like, oh, are we the Peter Pan of professions? We're going
1: to Oh no. Oh no. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to think about that for the rest of the day, man.
2: Just look at medicine, for example. You know, it started out where where doctors kind of were the the jack of all trades. And as it evolved, they've become very specialized. And you can kind of see, I think, that emerging in massage therapy in, in little pockets, you know, about... Subspecialties of massage therapy, um, and that's going to take some time, um, you know. But medicine was kind of the same way, I think, and scopes, overlapping scopes of practice, you know, in the medical field, you know, physical therapists versus doctors versus physicians assistants, who can do what, who can't do what, and the turf wars that you know um, inevitably results. You, I'd like massage therapy to avoid that. You know, we have our own internal. Things. Let's not get into fights with our other professions in addition to within ourselves. <laughs> how how do you
1: think we can avoid that?
2: I think it's an education thing. I think it's um from a regulator's perspective, I think that as long as the person is sufficiently trained and qualified and competent, does it matter whether they went to physical therapy school or massage therapy school to do that? And so physical therapists do massage, even though they weren't trained in massage, but they've been otherwise trained and qualified. So look at, is what the person is doing, do they have sufficient training and education to be competent to do it? Um, and it's not solely a scope of practice thing because there are many massage therapists out there, I'm, I'm assuming that you know might've been trained in pregnancy massage, but aren't really good at it at all. Um, I would be
1: one of those. Yes, there's. Same.
2: Yeah, it's about your qualifications and your competence, not about what you can do legally, right? So it's education in that regard. I mean, look at the physical therapists and acupuncturists. They're constantly fighting um, about dry needling. So. (laughs) Yes, they are.
1: Every time someone says dry needling, I'm like, acupuncture. And they're like, no dry needling. And I'm like, but.
2: Okay. Okay. Or animal massage, right? Yeah. Uh, who does that? And so. Anyway, kind of getting off topic, but I'll get off my soapbox.
1: Oh, all the topics are on topic in this podcast. <laughs>
2: <All
1: right. laughs> Don't you worry.
0: All, <laughs> all topics You're, are welcome.
1: Yeah, usually I'm the
2: one leading us off, so it's nice that it's you today. Um, <laughs> let's see. So, as the Director of Legal and Regulatory Affairs, which
1: is a very grand and I think kind of expansive title, what does your like day-to-day job actually involve? I assume a lot of emails, that would be my assumption.
2: Yes. Um, I'll come into the office with a to-do list of like four things and I rarely get those four things. Um, No, I, you know, I supervise, um, the government relations team. So we're constantly tracking legislation in all jurisdictions. Um, the compact, the, um, interstate massage compact impact is a big, uh, push or initiative. Mm -hmm. Um, this year and forward dealing with that and legislative sponsors wanting questions answered on, on that legislation. Um we do I'm making a big push since I've joined FSMTB to be to expand our member services. Um and that I would like our government relations team to attend as many state board meetings as possible which with the pandemic and movement toward virtual meetings has really helped us be able to uh, communicate and interact with our members more easily and more cost effectively. Uh, That helps us understand what the issues are that they're facing on a daily basis or on a monthly basis. So it's monitoring all of that kind of information inflow and then kind of deciding out of all of that, matter what should fsmtb do if anything um, about repeated topics Um, we do try to ask our boards when we see legislation relevant you know is there are you aware of it first of all because some of the boards don't even have a government affairs or government relations person that monitors that we provide them with that information have them review it ask them if they have concerns is there anything they need from us you know, do they want us to support it? Do they want us to educate the legislative sponsor? I mean, we're a 501c3. We can't really lobby. We can't hire lobbyists. Um, but we can educate to the best of our ability, you know, the policymakers, their staffers, um, about the practical implications of whatever change or addition they want to make to massage therapy regulation. And sometimes the boards can't do that themselves. Some of them are actually pivoted from taking a position on legislation. Other boards have the power to hire their own lobbyists. So trying to navigate the the variability of, you know, what our role can and can't be in each jurisdiction is also um, can be a sticky wicket. So, and then I have to deal with exam security situations and um, school compliance and things like that. And just other legal stuff, you know, litigation, <laughs> <laughs> it follows you.
1: <laughs> the litigation.
2: Well, litigation I'm managing the people that are doing the court work. I'm not nice. So
1: that's all. good job. You Excellent. get to send people on planes. You're like, go, you, go. go. <laughs> Off with you. Here's your ticket. I will <laughs> go. <a bill. laughs>
2: awesome. um, can you give
1: us an update on impact?
2: Yes, I can. Um, I it's believe, I believe it's been introduced in four states now, uh Washington, Nebraska, Ohio, and Georgia. Um, we need seven states to pass it. Um, I think it's gonna be coming forth in um, Arkansas soon and another state. Um can't remember. But we're getting close to at least getting it introduced. Um the biggest Challenge right now seems to be um, educating the legislators in those states that have less than a 625 education requirement about why that number, why that hour requirement was chosen. Um, And there was a significant (laughs) deliberation within the technical assistance group, and that was a group of about 25 to 30 individuals um LMTs, regulators, educators um, across the country, we try to get geographic representation about trying to create, to pick a standard as to what the hours should be. I mean, it varies from 500 to 1,200, I think, across the country. Um, and the, the technical assistance group kind of looked at the ELAP and the LME and the entry level um, practice analysis and it picked the empirically based number of massage education hours. And it's clock hours. It's not entry level. the the legislation doesn't require initial education to be 625. The technical assistance group was very intentional in that they want the commission to, to draft rules as to how that 625 can be accounted for. Whether it's CE, initial education, work experience, you know, how long you've been licensed. Um, they're trying to allow as many practitioners in that meet a minimum standard with the understanding, too, that um, there's going to be states out there that don't want practitioners coming to their states with 500 hours of education. Um, and so it was kind of a compromised position. So. But that's the empirically based um, number of hours we've done some internal analysis here at FSMTB with respect to exam performance. and mm-hmm. um between six hundred and fifty is kind of the sweet spot of hours of education and performance, you know successful performance on the index. You know once you get past seven hundred the the benefit, the score benefit or the result benefit isn't um, it's it's minute, so it's I guess not statistically significant. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not exactly. <laughs> but that's kind of like more education after 700 doesn't necessarily mean better performance, um, is what the data shows. So we're trying to get out there and educate, you know, LMTs, policymakers, regulators on that issue. So we we thought of it as um, like. the the compact or having a multi-state license is like TSA PreCheck. You kind of, you know, meet a little bit of an elevated standard, and you can practice in all these states with one license, as opposed to having to go to the different states, satisfy their own requirements. So it's just a little higher than the average. You know, most states have about a 500-hour, I should say, half have 500 hours, but the other half have more. So it was seen as you're getting to practice at every single state. You should be you know held to a little bit of a higher standard. Um I think the background check might be in a higher standard than some states that have a criminal background check, so there was a compromise position on that as well. You know we have the unfortunate um, affiliation or association, I should say, not affiliation with human trafficking. And so you're trying to, from the regulator's perspective, mitigate the possibility of that, um, you know, and and enabling or facilitating that, but at the same time, allowing legitimate practitioners that are qualified and competent to have this ability to, to practice in any state that passes the compact, because that's really what we want. There's a shortage of massage therapists out, out there and we're cognizant of that, but we also don't just want to You know, deregulate the profession just to satisfy supply or demand. That was a lot. Yeah, (laughs) thank you. No, it's it's
0: it's good. It's good. And just um, for for massage therapists who may not be familiar or or didn't get it from context clues, impact is the the uh, drive for an interstate multi-state massage therapy license and I will put the link to information in the show notes so that you can read all about it and um yeah
2: massage.org maybe... is the website that has all the information
0: perfect thank you thank you um I'm wondering about this I'm thinking about like the interstate license and where I did my training I did my training in Illinois and live in a state that has a, a slightly higher education requirement that I just happened to go to a school that met that education requirement. Um, what What is the, the how much consumer input like client input is a part of impact or other um, regulatory conversations?
2: Well, the, the compact, once the draft language was kind of pulled together, it went out for public comment. Um, and that was for three or four months during this past summer, summer 2022. Um, and there were a lot of comments received, and the tag got to uh, see a summary of that, and the drafting team, and they kind of worked together as to whether or not to make changes to the language based on the comments. Um, so there were public, there was public comment and consumer input. And as as the legislation gets introduced in each jurisdiction, and it varies by state, but there should be an opportunity for public comment there too. Some states kind of are really quick and surreptitious about legislation, which you know, again, that's sometimes what happens to me. It's like the state dropped a bill, and we need to, you know, respond. Mm -hmm. Everything goes out the window for that day. The one good thing is that interstate licensing compacts are becoming more publicly known and uh, legislators and and, uh, consumers are more aware of what they are um, today. I mean, if you try to do this 20 years ago, a legislator wouldn't even know what you're talking about when you said an interstate compact. What compact, what is that? But now the legislators and policymakers kind of know what they are and how they work So it's really just getting more now into the substance and the nuance of how it's going to affect, you know, their, their residents.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is it's it's I'm thinking about the safety because we've been talking about this whole season about the safety issue right and and how regulation and and things like this interstate compact and finding that. Not sweet spot, but that agreement spot <laughs> in terms of like education and background checks and things that that are meant put in place for consumer safety. And so we at at you will often talk about the things that we often find the most quote unquote, dangerous or unsafe are things that are very difficult to um to regulate or to to codify. Um, like, what did you say to your client whose you know, person just died and was it harmful or not? <laughs> um, like that kind of thing. Um, those kind of, of of interpersonal skills and emotional intelligence skills. And I am going to introduce uh, uh, um, a mo- uh, movement right now that we stop calling them soft skills. Um but those kind of I'll take that I'll take that online. Um but those kind of emotional intelligence and, and interpersonal relationship skills, how how much of that is under FSMTV's hat,
2: in your opinion? <laughs> you know, ethics and professional judgment kind of falls within the regulator's, you know, purview. And that is one of the challenges is how to um, assess whether somebody has the professional skills and judgment um, to, to make appropriate decisions. Um, and that also comes into play on the discipline and enforcement side. Um, and this is where sometimes the massage therapist, as regulator, needs to make sure they have their correct hat on because. I mean, massage therapists, you know, they want to help people. They're very empathic. Um, And sometimes as a regulator, you can't be empathic. Your role is to apply and enforce the rules as written. You could use your professional judgment and your experience, your expertise to inform how you apply the rules and how you enforce them. But I mean... (laughs) You sanction somebody and then what do you do how do you remediate right. and rehabilitate an individual who has faced discipline because of a lack of professional judgment ethics schools okay. I don't know massage therapy schools how they how they teach that is that in the selection process the admissions process is that you know now we're getting way out of my wheelhouse into education but um <laughs> I, I don't know how um to do that, and that's a challenge for regulators, you know, because they'll say, "Do me, you know, do yeah. ten hours of CE." They don't tell you in what. So, as you know, right. as your discipline for for record keeping, you go take, you know, ten hours of CE and pregnancy massage. It's not really affecting or helping you as a therapist learn the how to be better at whatever it is you did wrong. Yeah. Yeah, see, this is fascinating
0: too, because I don't think that this is, this is a, an issue only with the massage, not that it's like a capital I issue, but a, a thing that happens only in the massage profession, right? Um, and I think I heard correctly, I might have been hallucinating, <laughs> that, that you have um, in some of your background involves uh, some familiarity or at least um, being in the same room as like medical malpractice kind of law. Is okay. that, okay.
1: That was a nod for anybody <laughs> that was watching. A, that, yeah.
0: Um, and I wonder if there's anything that we can learn from that area of law that has maybe been more, um, had more, uh, has been experience. exercised more, had more experience. Yeah. Um, in terms of how relationship skills can um, mitigate harm and um, also harm to individuals, like patients and providers, but also harm to organizations who might employ said providers?
2: I don't know. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'll just give you the big question. Here you
1: go, on a platter.
2: longer for me to think about. Um... You can have all the time you need. Yeah. I mean, you know, the medical education process is very different from the massage education, massage therapy education process. For real. Yeah. (laughs) Process involving a lot of different people who can evaluate an individual seeking to become a physician over a period of time, right? You have the whole medical school and four years of that, and then, you know, you have your residency, and now it seems like almost everybody has to do a fellowship because you want to become board certified in neurology. And that requires an extra year or two, you know, um, supervised practice, you know, massage education can be done in less than a year. Um, and in some cases if your state accepts apprenticeships, it's just one person
1: Mm -hmm. watching
2: you develop as a therapist. Um, I don't know if it's, it's, if it's, the the massage therapy education kind of arena coming together to think about this issue. Um, You know, the regulators could probably provide a lot of data (laughs) um, as to, you know, what are the most common disciplinary um, issues um, and how do you handle it? I mean, one of the topics where I'm thinking about is, so you have um, therapists, I mean, sexual misconduct and sexual assault can go both ways in the the therapy Mm -hmm. room. The regulators focus only on the therapist because that's who they have jurisdiction over. But how can regulators and the massage schools um, better educate the therapists to handle these situations? And should that be kind of a continuing education every year, you need to get reminded of how to set boundaries and how to communicate. It's those interpersonal, as you said, you know, emotional intelligence skills that help therapists make better judgments? And what are the what are the remediations, you know, that you do for someone um, who has been disciplined for committing sexual misconduct, but also how do they how do you help them as the regulator, educate themselves to protect themselves? I mean, one of the things I say Um, with respect to the whole sexual misconduct, as well as the whole human trafficking, is that, you know, therapists are part of the public, and they are also deserving of protection. So when when we as regulators talk about protecting the public, the therapist, the licensed therapist is part of that public as well. And I think sometimes we think of it as, you know, outside, you know, the public.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I've had this conversation with a couple of people that, that it sort of grew out of conversations around human trafficking and, and sort of how the profession um, handles or mishandles conversations um, in that area, that in addition to what many people perceive as a lack of protections for the provider, for the massage therapist in the room, um, there there's a perceived... I'm going to say actual lack of support for people who have been harmed in that way, for providers who have been harmed in that way. Like, where, what, whose hat
2: is that? You know, (laughs) the the problem is that it's supposed to be, if it's a crime, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't rise to a crime, and that's a whole separate issue. But if it's in a jurisdiction where the behavior by the client was a crime, that's where. Unfortunately, you have to rely on those local district attorneys and the local prosecutors who may not have the resources, even if they have the desire, um, or don't have the desire because they're looking for big fish to fry. They don't, I mean, prosecuting misdemeanors in some cases, because it's not always a felony, um, mm-hmm. isn't what's going to get them to keep their job. And so there has to be, I think, a mindset shift. Um, in that regard too, you know? So it's part of government, but it's not necessarily part of the massage therapy regulators role.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how there's there's still, um, and Corey, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I get the perception that a lot of massage therapists, even those of us who are trying to like interface with the different organizations on a daily basis, are still trying to figure out, okay, wait a minute. Shit, <laughs> this is what you do. And this is where I take this question. Um, but if I'm, but I have this other que- question, B needs to go somewhere else entirely. And question C, maybe both of you could answer, but your answers will be a little bit different depending. Um, I don't I also, know that there's a question there. Go ahead, Corey.
1: I also yeah. feel like there's like question Q which is something that involves everyone and we don't talk to each other enough to solve those problems. I feel like like with the sexual harassment misconduct question, there's an education question and there's a regulatory question. And there's a safety question and there's there's so many questions involved in that one problem. And I don't think any one of the associations covers that. I think it's spreads out to everyone, but we're not very good, (laughs) I might be coming back to the teenager problem, we're not very good at (laughs) having big conversations or wide-reaching ones. Um, One of the things that I've talked about with some of the researchers is where we lack research as a profession, so we're pretty good, like we've got some pretty solid clinical research and we've got some, (laughs) so you can't see uh, Rebecca's cat bonkers has made an appearance. Um, so we're, we're we're pretty good at clinical and we're working on like bench detail cellular level stuff. Um, but we don't really have a lot of research in ethics and we don't have a lot of research in theory and we can't define what massage is in the first place, because we haven't had enough conversations about it to really pin it down or even to pin it down into like massages, these five general categories that we have decided on. And when we say this kind of massage, this is what we mean. We, as a profession, we do not have that body of knowledge. It doesn't exist. So having questions and having conversations about ethics gets really sticky because we don't like, there's no thought process about it. It's just sort of the question sits there and everybody like stands in a circle and looks at it. (laughs)
2: and then we don't get anywhere. (laughs) One of the challenges, I think, in the massage therapy profession that doesn't exist in some of the other um, healthcare professions and regulatory arenas is that we have two trade associations, and there is no national association of schools, so Uh they're kind of a void of um, a group of individuals that can a single group of individuals that can take lead the lead on certain issues. So there's not really nobody on the whole massage education kind of association of schools. And then on the industry side, you have, you know, competing two, interests, uh, different trade groups. So it's splintered. Um, there's a void and then you have it's it's fractured. Um, and those organizations like FSMTV and even at the state level, the regulatory board, is trying to manage all of those different constituencies and loyalties, but also trying to do what they think is right, you know, for the public. Um, and it's, 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 it's a lot. It's complex.
1: Yeah. For anyone interested in furthering this conversation, the community has been having a roaring conversation about authority and massage and what that means or could mean, <laughs> or doesn't mean. So yeah. get on in there. Give us your yeah. two cents. We want to hear it. Who's so, yeah,
2: in, who's in charge in the room, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we went through COVID, and nobody said anything because nobody thought they could say anything, or what to say, or how to say it. Like, mm-hmm. I think the biggest answer we got was to punt it back to the states, and then the states were like, "Well, we don't care about massage therapists right now. We have other things to do." So, I don't have an answer for you at all. And that's mm-hmm. how we existed for years. You know, like can't have big conversations if. We're not crossing our lines.
2: I mean, a lot exactly. of, it, it seems like a lot of the um, issues and topics in massage therapy, both the profession and from the regular regulatory side, necessitate collaboration mm-hmm. about individuals who go into massage therapy. Um, it's kind of a solo practice. You're not, part of the right. you're not like, you know, in a big office where you interact with people to do your job. It's, it's a one-on-one. And so collaboration, maybe it, it's not a skill they're strong at that they've been trained in. Um, So you have that maybe a, a void or a gap that, you know, that exists within the professions and the industry, just kind of as, a, as a, condition precedent, right, that yeah. exists, and we have to overcome that. And I mean, you just, talked to, yeah, the law enforcement side too, and enforcement, like, who who goes into the establishment, you know, is it yeah. the regulator, is it law enforcement, is it Department of Health, I mean, who's got that authority?
1: So you were talking yeah. about how some states accept apprenticeships, and that's even worse, right? At least in a school, you have some other people, but with an apprenticeship, it's one-on-one. And then you go as a professional, it's one-on-one. And I, I think the most any massage therapists hang out with other massage therapists is at conferences and we don't have a ton of them. So, and most people are there to have a good time, not have really serious, sad, upsetting conversations. Yeah. <laughs> so like, People want to go and see each other and smile and, you know, have balloons and unicorns and...
2: It's hard to have difficult conversations on any topic, but especially if, you know, you're not in an environment that is used to having those. Mm -hmm. Apprenticeships bring a whole other issue. I mean, a lot of states are trying to pass laws called the Earn and Learn Act, where you should open up all licenses to the apprenticeship pathway. (gasps) um, You know, it's difficult because um, massage therapy is different from a plumber. Okay, if you're doing a plumber or electrician, right. you're out there. Everyone can see what you're doing. You're not in a a private situation under the control of one person. And I worry about apprenticeships and their how they're structured. And if you're relying on this one person to pass you through and say you're good to go, they could never do that. No, mm-hmm. oh, you still need more training, and you're basically an indentured servant, indentured servant until they decide that you've met all of the competencies. I mean it, it puts you in a and you're the the apprentice, you don't have any authority. It makes it worries me as a regulator um just the the opportunity for inconsistent application and you know exploitation. Yeah, yeah, cuz if you're a plumber and
0: electrician, you could certainly cause damage. Right. But ain't nobody naked, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: Also, like, everybody I sees really, the fire. I don't
1: know. Like, if
2: there's a fire or flood, everyone's yeah. like, well, that
1: was the plumber or the electrician.
2: Well, but- there is three or four of them, and they're kind of going through the, the program together. And maybe that could happen in, in apprenticeship, you know, a more formal one. But it, 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 yeah. it worries me from the regulator's perspective about exploitation. And you can't get paid, so you're constantly doing yeah. it for nothing and reliant on a single individual to say, you know, you're good to go. So. Right. Right. Oh
0: my goodness. Well, this, this brings up for me a whole lot of questions about sustainability, which I think we're going to be talking about next season. So we might have to have you back to talk about that because I want to be.
2: I'm enjoying it. Actually, stimulating conversations like this very often. (laughs) Hooray. I mean, not hooray for you, but hooray for us.
1: (laughs) So glad you're here.
0: but I want to be in the community. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> tell,
1: tell us what's up.
0: Yeah. Um, so Corey, any, any final
1: questions or. Thoughts? I have so many questions, but not, we're not now, later. <laughs> Next time. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: Well, Mylan, thank you so much.
2: Yeah. No, for... I, one of the things I just wanted to say, and I thought, I think it was like in the first thing that Cal sent was with respect to the trade groups you know just this morning we have our monthly call with um the trade associations to see you know where we can align and where we can or at least stay out of each other's way so we do try to collaborate and work together and on things that we're going to disagree we come to an understanding that we're understanding that we're going to agree to disagree you know and that we have our own constituents to serve um so we do try to have as um a collegial relationship with, you know, the AMVP and the ATA, the other state-based chapters. So um, we do our best to educate and inform um, and work, you know, collegially. And I had we this
1: appreciate of, that. I, we yeah. do. I had this vision of everyone like taking off their sword and leaving it the door and entering the room to have this <laughs> conversation. <laughs>
0: That's the most quarry analogy ever. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Feudal Japan. Anyway. Yeah. Seriously. It's, it's not for those of you who are listening. um, Just understand that this is, this is not an easy job and Mm. the people who are doing this for the profession um, are doing this for you. So,
1: and as frustrated as you feel about all of these issues, they deal with Mm -hmm. them every day and are just as frustrated. So,
2: and one of the things we try to do when we meet with our member boards um, is that we try to remind them that, you know, as the regulator, they're seeing kind of a very small sliver of licensee population that is doing bad things, right? Dealing with enforcement and discipline cases or people who are lying on their application or not doing their CE. And that's just a small sliver. They don't hear from the majority of their licensees who are doing everything that they're supposed to do. Right. Try to say, you know, remind them that, you know, yeah, it's a hard job, but just remember that that's only a very small percentage of the people out there that you regulate Um, the fact that you don't see them is probably a good thing, right? You don't want to (laughs) see all your licensees in front of you for discipline, because that would be bad. Um, but we try to give them that, you know, don't forget. Yeah. The majority of your licensees are doing what they're supposed to do um, to get jaded, but it's hard. It's hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I hear that. So if you all go hug a regulator, get consent first but okay.
2: go ahead <laughs> they don't get paid for what they do you know they're volunteers yeah. um and so it, it's it's a tough road to hoe. but they do it because most of them do it because they want to better the profession right mm-hmm. they want yeah. to kind of weed out the bad actors um so.
0: exactly exactly well, Mylin, thank you so much for your time today for um taking the time to to educate us and to sort of walk in this this big um dark scary forest of <laughs> what are we doing here?
2: <laughs> Love it. I mean, it's that's why I came to FSMTV because of all the different, you know, clients I was working for, I I felt like FSMTV has a lot of potential. There's a lot of room um for maturation and and to make a positive
0: impact Um, why I'm here. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's really good to hear as, um, you know, someone who's in the profession. Thank you. you thank you. Hi. Hey, good. And thank you to everyone who is listening and who supports this podcast. Um, please tell a friend, bring them with you, go for a walk together and listen to Interdisciplinary. I guarantee you will have so much to talk about that you'll need to go for another walk. Together, um, <laughs> or have a cup of tea, you know, whatever floats your boat. Um, and please send us your feedback, your thoughts, um, at podcasthealwell.org. We do want to hear from you. Um, please don't make my inbox lonely, send me an email, and you can join us in the community, community.healwell.org, to continue this conversation. And if you are feeling like you want to tell the world about interdisciplinary, please write us a review that helps um, um, wherever you listen to this podcast that helps to get it in front of more people um, so that we can have more listeners. And there are more people who will go for walks and drink. That's right. interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. our theme music is by harry pickens new episodes are available weekly through your favorite podcast outlet uh, and you can send us an email at podcast at healwell.org that's podcast at healwell.org thanks for listening